Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I experienced all this stuff, I decided to publish my book in 2020. It came out on Amazon and other platforms, and it became Amazon number one new release in three different categories. After I published my book, I had a lot of people message me about their sexual abuse experience or domestic violence experience. And I felt very, very compelled to create a platform where people can talk freely about adversity and share their wisdoms and tools that they overcome, how they overcame their adversities. So it has been really amazing experience for me personally to have guests from all over the world sharing difficult conversation and wisdom. And I just like to feel I'm not alone and I feel the listeners will feel the same way. Today, we have Sam Gotten for our podcast. Very excited to have her. Hi, Fran. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you very much for coming to A Gift from Adversity podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yes, so can you please tell us who you are, what you do, and where you're located. Okay, so I am Fran Garden, as you mentioned. I am a pain reduction coach, I'm a personal trainer, and I am a fibromyalgia warrior. I am located in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. And what I do is I teach people that they can live pain-free. I teach them the tools and the strategies that I used to get out of the cycle of pain and how to deal with a chronic condition like fibromyalgia and that the idea that you don't have to live in pain, uh, there is a way to eliminate that pain. And is there any social media handles that you can share with our audience website? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram, Fran Garten Pain Coach. And my website is frangartencoaching.com. So those are the best places to reach me. Got it. Well, thank you so much for joining from Canada. I look, I'm located in Massachusetts in America. And I actually been to Canada a couple of times. I went to Victoria Island, Vancouver, uh, Banff, Banff mm-hmm. and Calgary. And I went to Montreal and Toronto. And those mm-hmm. are the places I've been Nice. All beautiful places. So I am about an hour uh, south of Toronto, where Kitchener is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Fran. And let's just dive into our main topic, which is the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? <laughs> just one? Oh, okay. I always love when people ask, you know, when I go on podcasts or I'm on, and I'm talking about 
sort of the journey and what happened. It it's I don't know if it, it seems from your book, even the title, that it's not just one thing. There's many different things that happen. So for me, my adversity started in 2011. And I ended up, I was teaching, I was an adult educator in the classroom. And I spent about nine months going through a cycle of nausea, headaches, blurry vision. And I basically spent my time taking gravel or anti-nausea medication in the morning so that I could get myself through work and then come home and take something for the pain and for the headaches and for the nausea and go to bed. And I did that for about nine months. And that's basically all I did. And so that culminated in one one wonderful morning when I went into my classroom and I put wonderful in quotation marks, I went into my classroom and I turned on the light and I couldn't see anything. And I had lost vision in my eye. And uh, I didn't know what was happening. It was terrifying actually, because you should be able to see. And all of a sudden I couldn't. And I had been going through this sort of blurry vision and all the stuff that had led up to it for that nine months prior. And um, my vision was gone. And so I got myself home. I don't, I drove myself, <laughs> which is probably not the safest thing to do, uh, but I had to get home, right? And I ended up in bed for four months with a migraine and with vision loss. And when I say that, people don't really believe me because they can't, you can't even fathom the idea that you have a migraine that lasts for four months and it was constant. So that, that painful felt like someone was sticking a knife in my head and just blinding pain and um, the nausea and the vision loss. And I literally was in bed for four months. And that was the first bout of adversity. Shortly after that, I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia the following year. And so then that year leading up to it, I was in extreme pain. And when I say extreme pain, imagine you have bolts of electricity shooting through your arms and legs on a regular basis, like all day long, all through the night. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't move. I could barely walk. Like there were days that I would cry because I was going to work or I was walking to my car and I was in so much pain. So I spent my mornings because I didn't know really how I was going to manage with this and how I was going to live the rest of my life because I was in my thirties. Like there's a lot of life after thirties, right? So, um, I spent a lot of time crying in the shower, to be perfectly honest. That's what I did. And then got myself back together and pulled it together and went to work and did all. I went through the motions of life with really the feeling of hopelessness and not really knowing what was going to happen. And so that probably was the biggest, that two year period was the most adversity that I had dealt with. And um, I can't believe now when I think about it, that it was so long ago and that I was where I was at that point, because when I think about pain, so if you've ever been through pain, some people will talk about, you know, what's your level of pain between one and 10. And so on a daily basis, at the height of it, I was probably a 15 out of 10. 
That's how bad it was. It was so intense. And when it started to get better after I got my diagnosis, um, then my pain level went down to about an eight. But now I live at zero. And if I go to a two or three, it's 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 a big pain day for me because I just don't live there anymore. And so it's very interesting. And you probably experience it yourself or even with your other guests that when you think back to what happened, you can't imagine where you were before compared to where you are now because it's so different. But in the moment, in that period of that challenge and the adversity, you just sometimes want to function. That, that That's all. That was my focus on a regular basis was how am I going to get through the next hour? How am I going to get through the rest of my day? How can I get through work tomorrow? Like you just function. That's all you do because you can't, you don't have the capacity. You don't have the energy. You don't have even the mindset to deal with it, to get beyond the coping because that's what you do. And you just exist and you just survive until, you know, you get a break maybe, or you go to bed or, something happens to interrupt that survival. But I know for me, I was in sort of survival mode for a number of years until I actually managed to get a handle on what was causing my pain. How did I get rid of the pain? How did I manage that? Because before that, it was basically survival moment to moment. And it was, it was, you know, when I think back now, I can't believe how bad it was before I actually really dug in and, and tried to change things for myself. So the diagnosis that you found out, what is it exactly? Yeah, so I have fibromyalgia. So fibromyalgia is, it's put into the arthritis family, but it's not arthritis. So arthritis is a degenerative condition that affects the joints. Fibromyalgia is not degenerative. It is not progressive. It affects the all the connective tissue. So all of your muscles. And basically, you, as someone who has fibromyalgia, you are hypersensitive to everything. So any kind of stimulus, so light sensitivity, heat changes, um, touch, uh, sound, all of those things you're hypersensitive to. So imagine, Jury, imagine you, you banged your hand on something. And if you banged your hand, you would kind of go, oh, that kind of hurts a little bit. And then you might, you know, rub it a little bit. And after, even a minute or two, it would be fine. You, you wouldn't feel it at all. Somebody that has fibromyalgia, their response to that, that stimulus of actually hitting their hand, I could be in pain for hours, hours and hours and hours. And then that could then cause a flare up, which would be traveling to other parts of my body. So with fibromyalgia, it really is an extreme sensitivity to things. And there are a lot of, uh, we call them tender points on the body. There are 18 of them. And those are typical and that's the testing they use to find out if you have those tender points to diagnose you because there is no testing for fibromyalgia diagnosis. It's just the tender points that they look at. Um, so uh, it is a very intense feeling, but there's no cause to it. There's no, they don't know what happens. The, a lot of the research says that if you have a traumatic event it can cause fibromyalgia to manifest itself. So with my vision loss and, and my vision loss was stress induced from work. It was external stressors that I was taking on that was, that caused the actual vision loss for me. Um, so 
that trauma, according to research and 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 um, everything that's out there, is what could have been the catalyst to have the fibromyalgia come about in my body. Do you know statistic in the world how many people may have this diagnosis? In so in Canada, it's one uh, 7.8 million people in Canada. In the world, I'm just trying to remember the statistics. I just looked at this. I want to say it's 10% of the population of the world that has it, which doesn't seem really high when you look, when you think about the population of the world, you're like, oh, it's not very many. But when you're the person that has the fibro, it's a big number. So even one in five Canadians, that's a lot. Like that's 7.8 million people. We have 35 million people in the country. Like it, that's a lot, one in five. So you could be in the line at the supermarket and four people in front of you, like of the, uh, the five of you, one of you could have fibro. So it is quite a high number statistically. And do you know if this is maybe more for women, men, or a younger generation, older generation? Yes. Yeah. It predominantly affects women. The 80% of the people that have fibromyalgia are women. Um, there are men who have it. I actually talked with somebody on a podcast yesterday and her father has fibromyalgia. So that was interesting because you don't really hear about a lot of men that have it, but um, yeah, it's predominantly women that suffer from it. And usually around the diagnosis. So I don't know how it is in the States. Um, in Canada, you it can take between one and three years to get a diagnosis because it's really hard to get into a rheumatologist and you wait for that. And they want to make sure that they, they rule out other things in testing before they give you the fibro diagnosis. So it can take a while to get it. And the age that people are usually diagnosed anywhere about 35 to 50 is sort of that age range where they actually get diagnosed uh, with fibromyalgia. And again, it's after they've ruled out everything else. When you're suffering with this condition, say vision loss or migraine so long time, and then you couldn't you know, get the right diagnosis for a really long time, what did you think it was happening in your body? That's a really good question. You know what I think? I, I didn't. I don't think I knew what was happening. I think I literally was thinking, "Do I have a brain tumor?" Like that's what they thought when I was at the hospital. The first thing they thought was, "You have a brain tumor," and then they were thinking, "Okay, well, no, maybe it's just just um, MS." So that multiple sclerosis, and then they were thinking, "Oh, it might be cerebral palsy." They had no idea what was going on because what was happening, this is what I was told, what was happening to me wasn't showing anything in any of the testing that I had done. So before I actually was told, so when the vision loss happened, I eventually, I had a CT scan, MRI, all, all the tests at the hospital, and they really had no idea what was going on. Because it was an eye problem, they sent me to an ophthalmologist who is an eye specialist surgeon, right? And when I went to see him and I had the testing with him, he, he said to me, I know exactly what's wrong with you. Immediately, as soon as he saw my scans and I told him what was going on, he goes, you have what's called, it's called central serious retinopathy. So CSR. What that means is we have fluid behind our retina, behind the eyeball. And the, the, the tissue that's there is there to keep the fluid from leaking out. It keeps the lubrication behind the eyeball and it keeps, it keeps the fluid out. There's a barrier there. And what happens is when there's extreme stress, 
your body decides how it's going to cope with it. And for this particular condition, many times what happens is the brain changes the vision. So we look, we have binocular vision. So we see out of both eyes, but our brain creates one image. So me seeing you is actually my brain making the image. That's how vision works. But when this, and so when this condition happens, the brain just corrects it. And the ophthalmologist told me that many people that have it, they don't even know they have it because their brain just corrects for it because that's what the brain does, right? So they don't even know that they can't see out of one eye properly. And it there's little micro tears. And what happens is all the fluid leaks through and then it causes blurred vision. That's what happened. My brain decided that it was not dealing with the stress in my life anymore. And it was not going to be doing the job that it was supposed to be doing that it has been coping for so long with. It just said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. And that's what I was told that, that my brain just said, nope, we're not doing it. And so the vision was lost. But that was not the diagnosis. That was not my fiber diagnosis. No, that was just the diagnosis for my eye. When that happened, I thought when I was having the vision loss and the migraines, I thought that I was like, I thought I was dying to be perfectly honest. I really did. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to even manage this. Like it was, it was like horrible. It doesn't even describe it. I mean, you know, you've been through things yourself. You can't really put it into words what it feels like, but I thought I was dying. Like, honestly, when I got my fibro diagnosis, after having recovered from the vision problem and the migraines were gone, and then this happened with all the pain in my body, I was just like, what is happening right now? Like, why is this happening to me? I just, I just finished dealing with this big thing, spent all this time in bed, lost these months of my life. And I just am kind of getting things back on track. And then this pain happens that I just can't manage at all. And so uh, I really was frustrated and hopeless and, and didn't really know what I was going to do. Like I had, cause there were no answers. Right. And that's the thing with any kind of diagnosis until you get a diagnosis, you're lost. Like you don't know what to do. You're just kind of grasping at straws and doing. So what I did, whatever anybody said, try this. I'm okay. I'll try that. Maybe you should try this thing. Okay. You just do whatever because you're just so hopeless. You don't know what's going to happen. So you're grasping at straws basically. And whatever someone tells you to try, you try. If I, you know, if I could run around like and cluck like a chicken to make it better then I would run around and cluck like a chicken, like whatever somebody suggested to try and get rid of this situation. So it really was a hopeless feeling that I had at that time. I'm very sorry to hear all these pains and unknowns and I think the worst feeling in the world is when you are sick and you just don't know why and you just think it's hope, hopeless and like, you know, what you just described to me, like when you are in so much pain, you just don't know if you can survive the next hour or you can't even comprehend if you're dying or not. And you, you just, you are, you just don't understand. And I've had nearly death situations, unfortunately, a couple of times, and I don't even remember. And some people told me later on that how bad it was and that's how bad it was because I don't remember. And I feel these kind of conversations, like, you know, 
I don't know what to say, but some sometimes like you know, doctors definitely try, but you really have to listen to your intuition and then really follow your gut feeling. Even doctor says one thing, I'm like, hmm, that sounds not really right. And then you just kind of have to advocate for yourself. So friend, let's actually move on to my second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome this um, you know, conditions and pains and how did you do to manage that and then get out of it? Yeah. Um, so I changed the food that I ate. So there are, you know, if you're dealing with chronic pain, um, there are foods that cause inflammation in the body. And think about inflammation in the sense, and, and so fibromyalgia does not cause inflammation in the body. That's not what happens. But when you have inflammation in the body, imagine, uh, try and visualize like a balloon, okay? Your, your muscles are a balloon and they're filled with air. And then as you get inflammation, the balloon's expanding and more air is going into it, but the balloon can't expand any more than the space we have in our body because there's bones and all the other stuff that's in there. So we're trying, it's trying to expand and it can't. There's not enough space to put more air in there. And so then what happens is the inflammation is causing all the cells to get bigger, basically, right? And that's pressing on all the muscles and nerves and tendons and everything in the body. And then that's what's causing some pain. So changing the food that I ate and reducing my food and, and focusing on having an, uh, an anti-inflammatory eating regime is one of the things that I did. Uh, the other thing that I did, I worked with a bioenergetic practitioner and um, worked on gut health and, and cleaning up the gut health. So that goes with the food as well, right? If your gut is healthy, then the rest of your body is healthy. <laughs> if your gut is not healthy, then there are problems in other parts of the body. So that was another thing that I did. The third thing that I did was mindset work. I worked with a mindset coach and had to reprogram and retrain the way I thought about life and the way I thought about myself and my body and the people around me and my job and all of those things. So doing that, you know, it's not just about, I think sometimes we talk about being, having a positive mindset and it that's all fine and well. And I agree with it a hundred percent, but if you don't truly believe that you are valued and you are worthy and you are loved and all of those things, no changes will happen because you're not going to make the changes to to show yourself that you are worthy. Does that make sense? So mindset work is a big piece. Um, then I also shifted the way that I looked at movement. So prior to my getting my diagnosis, I would do, I'll say traditional exercises. Um, and my body didn't like it. There would be a flare up of pain. Some days it put me in bed for two or three days because of the pain. And then I would recover from that. And then I would get mad <laughs> and I would get frustrated that I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do. And I'd be like, I'm going to do them. And I just dig my feet in and I'm going to do them. And I'm going to try it again. And I'll make a little bit of an adjustment. So what I was doing with movement was I was doing regular traditional exercises, but maybe I wouldn't do as many 
reps, or I wouldn't do it for a half an hour. I do 15 minutes. And, and what I really had to do, which is what I ended up doing is changing my idea about what movement means. So for me now, what movement means is I practice Qigong. I practice walking meditation. So, you know, I, I do different kinds of movement that are more gentle for my body, but that doesn't mean that they're easy and it doesn't mean that they're not doing anything. And I think that that's where changing my idea on what movement means um, is really important for people, especially if you have any kind of pain, you can't necessarily do what everybody else does. And, and that's the, the next thing that I did was I had to grieve who I used to be and accept who I am now, because I cannot be, I'm not that person that I was before. I can't do those things. And I'm in a different phase now. I, I'm a person that has fibro. I'm a person that has has to be careful. I have arthritis as well. I have to be mindful of that. But you, I had to grieve who I was because I kept thinking about who I was before. Like, oh, I used to be able to do that. Or when I was in my 20s, I could, you know, X, Y, Z. Or when I, I remember when I would, you know, do something and I get up the next day and I felt great. It's not who I am now. So I really had to, remove that past person and really let that person go. If that makes sense, because now I need to be who I am today. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these important tools. What I like about this part of the question is when you have this extreme conditions and adversities, and then the people who really truly never experienced the trauma or adversities. They just say, oh, go see a doctor, go see a counselor, but that's just one dimension. And then when you especially have a wait list for seeking a counselor, and even if you have a counselor, it's also like once a week, my actually counselor fell asleep on me. And you know, some counselors, I just didn't click on it. And when you have that extreme challenges, either health, mental health, I feel that, as a human being to survive, we tend to seek a lot of different modalities. And then sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. So this is why my podcast has been so empowering to myself, guests and the listeners. And because we all thrive to heal ourselves intuitively, mm -hmm. we don't know which one works. So I really appreciate you sharing this. What do you think the food that was really causing main pain? And then what do you think the success of you removing that kind of food to a new different diet? Uh, so if I would say, and I, and this is for anybody who's dealing with pain, not just for me, if you are eating sugar, you need to remove it. That, that is a game changer for everybody. Um, it doesn't matter whether they have fibromyalgia or, or whatever. I deal with clients that have arthritis. I deal with the ones that have gout, all different kinds of things. Sugar is really damaging for your body. And the reason is, and I, and I, this is, this is my, my, my part that I like to talk about the body, the muscles, the body is made up of fascia, which is moves the tissues that move what makes us flexible when our cells and the tissue is all healthy the muscles are healthy we move we have flexibility like this i can move my hands right but when i have inflammation in my body 
my fascia, that tissue that's supposed to move, kind of gets sticky like Velcro. And sugar makes our connective tissue sticky. So if we are trying to move and we have pain and it feels like there's like that pulling feeling and that tightness, that could be your fascia is just not moving the way that it should. So sugar, for anybody who's listening to this, just give up sugar. (laughs) And that will be a huge game changer in reducing your inflammation and really reducing the amount of pain that you have. That probably is the biggest thing. And I know now, even now, if I have something that has sugar in it, I get immediate flare. I can feel the pain in my hands and my feet, which is where my fibro really shows up and along my neck and shoulders. Um, I, I feel it right away. I want to talk about sugar because when I was diagnosed with the thyroid, um, my doctor first said I would never get off the medication. I said, no, I'm not listening to you. I changed the doctor and I went to see nutrition response and testing. And the first thing she said about is sugar and alcohol, which is acidic. And then the pH uh, level goes down. So it was very hard for me because I was working at Starbucks or cafe, sugar and alcohol. I don't drink alcohol. Uh, but sugar and then the coffee, caffeine, it's it was very hard because I was working at Starbucks at one point. I got really addicted to coffee. And then, you know, during my break, I would go get like latte and donut. And that was, I didn't know that was causing a lot of, you know, TSH level damage. And then when I went to see the nutritionist testing um, practitioner, she said to get rid of sugar and then use agave or mm-hmm. raw instead so i changed it completely and i looked at all the ingredients that was in and i basically got rid of everything that was in the fridge or pantry that i couldn't pronounce the name of the ingredient so um and she said to never use uh, table salt but sea salt only because it doesn't solve so i actually did not take any medicine for my thyroid condition where my doctor said I would basically die without it. I would never get pregnant. I did without medication by changing the diet, which is, um, I talked about it in my book, I gave from adversity as well. So I echo you for the sugar, but it's very hard to give up on sugar, the cakes and stuff. So occasionally, like, you know, but it's okay. But regularly, like, you know, if you can substitute with raw honey, Agave, you can definitely. I, I'm Japanese. I like to make teriyaki chickens and all that stuff. So I use agave. So I was marinating today, uh, teriyaki chicken. I use agave and then soy sauce. And then it's really helping my health as well. So thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. And mm-hmm. then what is biogen energetic? Bioenergetic. What is it? Oh, a bioenergetic practitioner. Yeah. He, he looks at um, the inflammation in your body, looks, they can test all the different levels and what's going on with your organs and how your organs are functioning. And then from there, um, he, uh, Jason is who I worked with, Jason Persaud. He put me on an anti-inflammatory um, eating regime. So basically um, no gluten, no dairy, no sugar, no soy, no corn. That's basically it. Um, nothing processed. And I did that for three months and the amount of inflammation that disappeared in a three month period was, was phenomenal. And, you know, I, I, I love what you were saying about, yes, you can use honey, you can use agave. There are so many options. And the thing I want to say about sugar, and this is the thing I think sometimes people don't really think about 
anything that's so white bread, bagels, rice, those kinds of things, white rice, those kind of noodles, spaghetti noodles, those are simple sugars. Okay. They're simple carbohydrates. So they're simple sugars. So I don't want, so sometimes when people say sugar, like you mentioned, you know, my latte and my coffee and my donuts and my cakes and although yes, absolutely. But there are other sources of sugar like breads and pastas and rices and things like that, that those are sugars as well. And so people forget about that. I think sometimes when we talk about sugar, they only think about the sweet things, but also think about those white things that you eat because those things have sugar in them. Um, but yeah, it makes, it makes a difference. It may, and I mean, obviously you saw that, right. You were able to get pregnant. You got off your medication and that's the thing, you know, the healthcare system, we are lucky that we have it. That, that I, I truly believe that we live, we both live in countries and maybe your listeners and viewers live in countries that we're in first world countries. We have access to medication. We have access to doctors. We can afford to pay for those things. There are countries that don't have that. So we're fortunate that we have it, but I agree every, you know, like you mentioned, every practitioner, myself included, right? I have my own perspective on things. You have your own perspective. And everybody that we see, each modality has their own focus and their own area of expertise. And that's why I always say to people, you need a team. You need a team of people. You need a, you know, a massage therapist. You need your doctor that you can go to. You need to have a, a nutritionist. You need to have all of these people that you have in your team because depending on what's happening with you, then you have different people that you can access, right? And and depending on what your perspective is, like you said, I you didn't want to be on medication forever. So you found a way to get off medication. I was on heartburn medication. And my doctor said, there's no way you're ever going to get off a of heartburn medication. And I was like, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like same with my, for my fibro. I don't take medication for my fibro. My doctor said, you're never going to not be able to have medication. And I know people who have fibromyalgia. I have friends that have fibro. And when I got diagnosed, I, they were my first phone call <laughs> was to talk to them. And I said, well, what do you do? Like, what should I be doing? And they, and this is the advice they gave me jury was this, take your medication. Some days are terrible. Some days will be better. That's just it. And you live with it. And I, yeah, right. Look, yes, that's the face I made. I was like, are you kidding me? No, yeah. no way. No, not, not, no, 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 no. Maybe that's your personality. That's not my personality. I just can't, I can't. <laughs> so it all depends on who you are and what you want and what is that vision that you have for your life. And for some people to be in a state of pain, whatever that looks like and whatever is causing that pain, there is a benefit to them to remain there. Some people enjoy being a victim. Some people, it, it maybe they don't have, you know, what they need from their external sources, from the people in their life, maybe. And to get that attention or to get that care or whatever word you want to use for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They have to be in that victim state. They have to be need, they need to need somebody. They need to be dependent on somebody to feel that that makes them feel worthy and important. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm not judging that, but everybody is on a different, in a different space in their journey and what they want for their life moving forward is different for everybody. And until people, you know, decide that they want more and better, 
then they'll stay where they are. And so just like you did, you gave up sugar, you, you got pregnant, you're not taking your medication. You know, I don't have pain. I'm living a active, healthy lifestyle. And, um, some people don't want that. They, they have other things that they prefer to have in their life. And it's easier, I think sometimes than to give up sugar and to not drink alcohol or it's just easy right? If I can continue to do things the way that I was doing them before, if I have to make some changes, sometimes it's very challenging for people, for all of us. And, and, and it's to stay the course and to actually um, get the results you want takes time. It's not yes. instant. Absolutely. Mine took about 13 months or so to change. And then I learned that every three months or so, um, your cell, which, um, you know, reprogram cell. So, you know, even if you start organic food and change the diet, the result won't show for at least like three months because your cells, you know, have to rejuvenate. Absolutely. And then um, you mentioned a little bit about mindset coach. Mm -hmm. And then you know, what you just talked to me about, you know, being victim and then some people like to be in victim shoes. And I definitely can empathize and sympathize. And I've had those stages in my life a lot. And then you will never recover. You never win you never like just you know be a positive mindset if you can't overcome those or even realize realize that um you're doing that to yourself and to other people it's hard and it's easy but um what was the tool maybe you use with the mindset coach to overcome like positive mindset that you can overcome this disease or condition that you are dealing with I think the biggest thing from the mindset coach that I learned was that, you know, we have the power to, to design the life that we want and, and every choice that we make puts you on a particular path. And as you go down that path, more choices are given to you. And it's, it's really is like a fork in the road, right? I go left or I go right. And, and if I go right, it gives me one result and then I continue on. If I go left, I get something else. So the idea for me, the biggest part with the mindset was just knowing that I have choices and I have the control and other people, this is the thing with mindset too. I think other people don't have to like what I do. They don't have to agree with what I choose for me. And I think sometimes in culture and society and our families and our friendships, we, we worry so much about what other people need that we forget what we need. And that was probably the biggest thing that I learned from mindset. I have choices. I'm important. I need to make decisions that are good for me because ultimately it's my health. It's my body. And if I don't make choices for me that help me, no one else is going to. So I have the power to do that, but we're not, I, I don't know about you. I don't know how you were raised, but where I, when I grew up, I came from a good home. I didn't have, you know, trauma at home or anything. I had great parents and, and all of those things, but I never really was told, you know, you have the choice to do whatever you want. You need to take care of yourself. Not that they didn't love me. They did. They, they praised me, all those things, but I never got that message never came through. And it wasn't until I did the mindset work that I really realized, yeah, like I, I have choice. I have power. And I need to take that and own that for myself. So that's probably the biggest mindset piece that I would say. 
I think it's interesting. It kind of came from my piano lessons in Japan that where we just, you know, be very um, loyal to one teacher and then we can't like, you know, switch even if we don't click. But then when I came to Berkeley Cultural Music, each semester people were changing the private teacher and I've never heard of it. Like we just like to stay in one teacher, same as doctor in Japan. Yes. But like, you know, I just didn't know that I had so much choices. So now when I was pregnant, I switched my OBGYN doctor so many times till I really find somebody that I can really um, trusted or heard and the same as my PCP. And I just don't know so many people have those kind of empowering situations where you can have choices, even in the medical field that, um, you know, you do have opinion, you do have options in the intuition. You can always consult with doctor. And if the doctor uh, cannot agree with you, you don't have to stick with that person. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many doctors that I've met who respect Eastern medicine and then the a way that they think is a more cutting edge, or maybe they read something else in the research or how they were raised. And I realized that again and again and again in so many difficult situations that I had, same as counselor. So what I what you're saying that you have the power, you have the choices, and then you do um, really, um, you don't really have to stick to like one thing and then worry about like family members or close friends if your feeling is right and intuition is right i think probably that's right mm-hmm. yes yeah and the thing too it's you know when you mentioned about the doctor i have a fantastic um family doctor and i think it's a little bit different in canada than in the states in canada we can't just change doctors So if we have a family doctor, because there aren't a lot of them, so some people don't have family doctors, um, they use the clinics. Uh, If you have a family doctor, you can't just jump to somebody else. But I have been very, very fortunate. My family doctor, exactly like you said, he reads the latest research. He's very open to to, to Eastern medicine. He is very much like when I see him, he's just like, do you need a referral to whatever you need? I'm happy to give it to you because he's like, we need to figure out how to make you the healthiest person that you can be. And if that means that you don't come and see me because you have an osteopath and you have an acupuncturist, fine. He's like, go where, go to the modality and to the people that help you feel the best that you can feel. And so if you're lucky to have doctors that, and, and practitioners that are very open to things, it makes it much easier when you have people who are not open to that, it's kind of hard because as the patient or as that person, you're going to see the expert and that expert is telling you, well, you have to take your meds or you, you shouldn't do this. Well, yes, but I, that doesn't make me feel good. Or that's not what feels good for me in my skin and for my life. And if you don't have that support, well, sometimes maybe people feel like, well, why sh- shouldn't I trust that person? Like they're the expert, right? So it, it does take... I think, and that's where the mindset piece comes in too, Jury, is that you need to really realize that you are worthy of being well. You are worthy of having a lot of people that can help you be healthy. You are worthy of what forgiveness. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of all those things. And I think sometimes what happens when people are on this journey 
to wellness, whatever that wellness looks like for them, they're looking at it through the lens of just their health or just their weight or just their digestion, but they actually have to look at it in a big scope. There are all the pieces together. So I, I tell my clients that I work with, like my training clients, my, my active clients, you can't just do the physical piece. You got to do the nutrition. You got to do the mindset. You got to do the stress reduction. You got to do all of it together because if you don't, you're only going to get so far with the movement piece and then you're going to hit a wall and you're not going to get any more progress because you're missing the other pieces. It's not just one thing. It's many components together that make up the whole of wellness. And I think sometimes we look at it separately um, and we divide it, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. You just have to kind of tackle through 360 degrees we mentioned, including mental health, physical health, and Eastern, Western, whatever the modality that you feel that it would help any situations. I've tried so many modalities in my life to cope with my PTSD and then overcoming child sex abuse. And that was a huge piece. And then um, this word psychosomatic, which manifests all the fears in your body. And I didn't know anything about that until very, very recently. So, you know, you live and learn and then that's why i really um appreciate you today for having this conversation with me and with sharing your story with our audience and i really appreciate it last question that i have is a gift that came from the adversity so what would you say a gift that came from this adversity a gift that came from this adversity is that i was able to recreate who i was and what i wanted for my life it, it allowed me the freedom to look and see these things are not what I really want because it was sort of at a crossroads, I feel, when th that two-year period was very pivotal for me because it, it allowed me to look back and go, do I, all the stuff that happened that I had, that I've built, my career, all of that, is that what I want moving forward? And I kept thinking in my mind, if nothing, and I say this to people all the time, if nothing changes today, are you happy moving forward the way that it is? So if nothing changes today in your life, exactly as it is, are you happy moving forward in the exact same space that you're in right now? And if you are, then you don't have to make any changes. But if your answer is no, you're not happy, then that's where you have to make those changes. And so that when we're, when we're hit with adversity and it, it falls into our life, um, that's the moment where you get to look back. I think it's kind of like, I, I envision it like standing on the edge of a cliff and am I going to move forward? I'm going to jump off the cliff and I'm going to move forward into my future. Or am I going to back myself up and I'm going to stay on that, that mountaintop or that edge. And I'm just going to stay there. And that's my past life was on that ledge and jumping forward off the edge of it was where I got to recreate who I was and what I wanted for my life. Well, thank you so much for answering that. And I have one question from the audience. What does mean, what does mean to blissfully bloom? How do you attain it? Say that one more time for me, Jerry. What does it mean? To blissfully bloom? How do you attain it? To blissfully bloom? And how do you attain it? 
That is a difficult. Did I say that? I can't re- imagine where that came from. Is how to blissfully. No, I have a. I have oh. a. It's from I got you. I got you. Okay. How to blissfully bloom and how do you attain it? I think um, the best explanation or answer to this would be to listen to what your body wants. Your body tells you things. It tells you when it's in pain. It tells you when it's happy. It tells you when you're making good choices. So really to listen to yourself because your body is never going to put you in a situation that's dangerous. It's not going to make those choices for you. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that we might be in a situation that has danger that might be harmful to us, but I don't know that we would necessarily go towards it for the sheer sake of having danger. There are other elements So my second piece, how do I attain it? I would say, look at all the aspects in your life, everything. Like you mentioned, your spirituality, your your mental health, your physical health, all of those things. Look at those things and from there, decide what things are moving you forward and what things are holding you back. And so it really does take, I think, sometimes a lot of it's, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a lot of in, internal work, a lot of introspection, a lot of evaluation, and to be perfectly honest with yourself about what you are doing or choices that you're making and how they're impacting your life. Thank you so much for answering that. Before we close our show, if somebody's going through what you went through right now, what's the biggest advice you can give? The biggest advice, don't give up. Just keep, just keep trying things. Ask for help. Try, you know, the thing, like you mentioned, it's trial and error sometimes. Like sometimes you just don't know. So don't close your mind. Keep your mind open to the options that are out there. And I, and I, and I would tack right onto that jury, like you mentioned, it takes time. If there were a magic bullet that would instantly cure and fix all the things, you and I would be giving it away and selling it and <laughs> we'd be billionaires and everybody would be happy and healthy and well. Like, like there is no magic pill. So try different things. Keep your mind open and be patient because it does take time. It, it doesn't. It took you a while to get here. It's going to take you a while potentially to get out of it. Well, thank you so much again, Fran, for coming to A Gift from Adversity. And thank you for our listeners to uh, tune in to the conversation we're having. And I hope that everybody um, can get something out of this conversation. And I have great guests coming up all the way. Um, I'm very excited to have this platform available for many guests from all over the world. But thank you again, Fran, for being part of it. Thank you.